Hi, everyone. I'm Andrew. And I'm Michael. And this is the Endurance Innovation Podcast. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Endurance Innovation. And Michael has been doing a lot of solo episodes lately, and that's been uh, definitely schedule conflict. So I'm back. I'm still here. Uh, but kudos to Michael for holding the torch on this. Uh, he's been putting in a lot of work lately, and I've been kind of, well, maybe not slacking off, but it, uh, <laughs> I haven't been contributing as much. But it's it's good to be back. Uh, it is good so- to have you back, Andrew. And those <laughs> they weren't solo episodes. I think I only did one solo. They were They were talking to smart people, which is always a lot easier than doing straight up solo episodes, but it is good to have you I can you back. imagine. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like, uh, well, we're doing, uh, and I've been thinking about episode today. So it sounds like we've got something interesting to talk about, something I've been kind of curious about. Um, so it's basically, and we've probably touched on this, but it's, it's, uh, cross training in the winter. So mm-hmm. for the Northern hemisphere, it's getting cold in Alberta, I don't know, it's supposed to be like minus 15, minus 18, high of minus 15 Tuesday, something like that. Oh, so wow. it's uh, it's going to be chilly. So yeah, the uh, the triathlon bike is not going outside on Tuesday. Um, <laughs> to be honest, it hasn't been outside for a long time, but uh, at least I've got a good excuse on Tuesday. But I think a lot of people are facing this situation now where they have to figure out what they want to do for cross training. And especially if you haven't, haven't been racing much this past year, you're probably looking for a bit of a change. Yeah, um, it is something that that crops up, and it's uh, given that we participate in uh, an overwhelmingly summer sport, and uh, depending where you live, half of your year or maybe a third quarter of your year is not really um, ideal outdoor weather. Although I do enjoy running in the winter, there it, it does make a lot of sense to replace the the cycling with something else if you can if you can pull it off. Because I mean. Most of us don't love the trainer, even though trainer technology has come a really long way and there's Zwift and Trainer Road and, and System and all those uh, fun apps. It is nice to be able to do something that's actually outside and somewhat simulates the bike. So when we're talking about cross-training, we're going to talk about specifically uh, two sports, um, and that's cross-country skiing and speed skating that could be uh, fun alternatives to the bike in the winter. Mm-hmm. And there actually is uh, a winter triathlon event that you can participate in. Um, so if you're just looking for that kind of, you know, mix it up, something a little bit out of the ordinary, um, the ITU has a version of triathlon for the winter that's uh, so 12K of ice skating, um, 8K cross-country ski, and then 5K snowshoeing. Nice. Um, so, I mean, those distances aren't exactly Ironman distances. But I think 8K of cross-country skiing is probably a little bit tougher than 8K of, uh, of biking. And then 5K of snowshoeing is a hell of a lot tougher than a 5K run. <laughs> totally. But there, there are, yeah, there, we should actually have added uh, snowshoeing because there's also a, um, I, I forget how serious it is or at what level this competition is held, but there is, you know, an Ontario championship race in snowshoeing um, that I don't know what, what, the the federation is called that that holds all of these events but uh snowshoeing is another good one because it does quite closely simulate running and if you're not a fan of uh of the slush in the city then uh snow strapping on snowshoes makes a lot of sense too or if you want to get some looks maybe toss on some snowshoes and go running in downtown toronto (laughs) you'd probably wreck your shoes your snowshoes pretty quick (laughs) 
but there's no shortage of places to go uh, to actually give them give them a proper rip. So one of the elements that you brought up when comparing cycling to, uh, in this case, country, cross country skiing. Well, it's getting late here. Uh, <laughs> is the fact that uh, in, at least in the past, cross country skiers have recorded some of the highest VO2 max numbers in the world. I I don't know who holds the current record. I do believe it's a cyclist, but also these records are really super wishy-washy because the the equipment used to um, to measure VO2 max uh, it needs to be so finely calibrated, and there are a lot of um, kind of nuances in measure in how you measure VO2 max, and so uh, I think um, these these relative numbers don't make a ton of sense. Uh, but suffice to say, ski, skiers, cross-country skiers, have very high VO2 max generally, um, and which is uh, you know something that we've we've talked about on the show a little bit as a as a metric that is definitely um, useful to develop for all endurance pursuits. So, just a quick refresher on VO2 max. Um, so it's maximum oxygen uptake, obviously. But uh, the the reason that this could be different is uh, when we look at cyclists or when we look at any endurance sports that you could be either centrally or peripherally limited so can you take up oxygen fast enough or can you use it fast enough uh, and which one you know ultimately one of those is going to be slightly leading or not the limiting factor um, so it's uh, it makes for an interesting conversation because cyclists only use a well a big muscle group but only a select muscle group mm-hmm. um, but when we look at cross-country skiers like there's a lot more going on there that's a full body workout Absolutely, yeah. And when uh, um, when we had the conversation with Kali Moore on VO two max, that was his uh, his um, supposition too that that the reason that runners and uh, cross country skiers generally have higher VO two max values than cyclists is because they're using more more musculature to to drive that oxygen demand, right? So you're it is a you know you're talking about peripheral or central limitation. Um, another way that I like to think about it is is kind of the supply and demand side, where you know how much can your cardiorespiratory system supply versus how much your musculature can demand. And obviously, if you've got more muscles working, there's more demand, so there's you're less likely to be demand side limited. So it's it is easier um, to get your, for example, and this is an easy an easy way to. A kind of, an easy proxy for for VO2 max. Um, I think we've all been there on a bike where we're doing a hard bike workout and our legs just give out, you know, and our heart rate might be high, but it's not, it might not be super duper high, but it's it's our legs that are just the limiter and cannot push any harder. And this is the peripheral limitation you were talking about earlier. But when you're doing a hard run workout or those of you listening who are skiers, <laughs> hard, hard cross country ski, you probably are going to be gassing yourself before you get to the point where your muscles just cannot take it unless there is a specific issue there. So yeah, there's a, there's a very good reason why VO2 max is driven so much better, well, at least somewhat better, let's say, in, in full body activities like skiing and running. So in your opinion, and I'm sure there, well, maybe there's a conclusive answer, but in your opinion, Michael, um, is it beneficial to train where you've got such a high demand, where you're putting the limitation on your central system, your lungs? So that's a really good question. Uh, I think there is some debate, uh, but there are a lot of really smart folks who 
suggests that pushing your heart as high as hard as it'll go, uh, you know, provided you have no issues with doing that, you're cleared by your cardiologist, uh, is very good at increasing um, your VO2 max, right? So this was Collie Moore's supposition again when he was on the show that he believes that most most of us are stroke volume limited, um, and he his approach to cycling cycling training is all about driving that. So. Uh, following that kind of train of thought, anything that maximally stresses the supply side, the central side, is going to be useful for um, for raising VO two max, and then being able to being able to supply all that oxygen rich blood is going to be useful to you, regardless of what your endurance sport is. So, what is the physical adaptation that likely occurs when? when you're going through this? Is it your heart getting stronger? Is it your lungs becoming more efficient at doing the gas exchange? Uh, or is it a combination? Hmm. This is a good, this is a great question too. Uh, so I'll refer you listeners back to the chat we had with Colleen Moore because he explained this much better than I'm going to. So here I, here I go paraphrasing it. Um, I don't believe that too many people think that we are uh, lung limited. So that we, the lungs are generally not thought to be the limiter. So your ability to fill uh, your lungs with air and have that air exchange happen in the, you know, in the alveoli um, is not thought to be the limiter. With a little caveat, there is some evidence, uh, and I don't know how robust it is, so, you know, don't send me hate mail for this one, that uh, our breathing muscles can fatigue in a long event. So you might you might see fatigue in some of the like the diaphragm muscles uh, and then the chest muscles that uh, that do all the breathing for you. There might be fatigue and there might be some degradation of function that way. I don't know how robust the evidence for it is, but I have heard that 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 could be the case. But primarily, uh, the thinking is that it's the heart is the limiter. And uh, Collie's and again, I'm going to try to do my best to paraphrase it. Uh, from memory, um, Kali's point on this was what you're training with um, at high cadence, and his, this was his training was was high cadence, high power VO2 max training was pushing the um, infill volume that he believes is the limiting factor for for performance. Um, and again, really, listeners, you should just go back to listen to <laughs> listen to our conversation with Kali rather than me trying to stumble through it. Maybe um, we can just insert the entire episode right yeah, here. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? Um, uh, this is a total sidebar, but uh, this will be the last show that we do for, uh, for December, folks, um, just because we're busy and the holidays are coming up. But what I am going to do, given how poor of a job I'm doing of reciting this is are the next for next week I'm going to republish Kali's episode because everyone should listen to it because it's uh, it's quite good but uh, having said that um, let me kind of uh, wrap this up <laughs> and say that I do his position was and I have heard it from other folks that uh, it is it we are um, centrally limited that's his point and it's the it's the cardiac component of the cardiorespiratory system that is that is the most limiting um, and so doing an activity like cross-country skiing, um, because it, it, there's such a, such a high demand, would stress that more substantially and, uh, and give you a good fitness boost. The other thing I'll say about it <clears throat> is because it, it's, a, it's a different modality, right? So we're doing a different activity, and there are um, kind of inherent benefits to doing, uh, to switching things up, right? So our bodies get good at what they practice, um, but the returns diminish just like with anything else, right? So if you, when you first start running, you know, it's hard and 
every time you run, you make big fitness gains, big running gains. Same thing with any other sport. But then when you go snowshoeing, for example, then you are doing your motion is different. Your stride is different. Your, uh, you know, the, the muscles used are slightly different or when you go trail running. So you change the modality. There are a lot of benefits to, um, to the, to even your primary sport because you are, you're training your muscles in different ways. You are, um, you're also, you know, pushing your cardiorespiratory um, system in different ways. And so that has, that has uh, some unique benefits as well. So I don't know if this is really a devil's advocate comment or just a point, but I wonder how out of balance or how cardiac limited we are, because you look at things like emphysema or COPD, or Mm -hmm. just knowing that, uh, you know, typically smokers are not known as being (laughs) very, very good endurance athletes. So obviously there's some limitation in the lung and the oxygen uptake that's happening. So my, my thought or my question would basically be at what point does that switch over? Or is that something that, um, you know, maybe, maybe because the body's very efficient, we never, um, or the body never allows us to really have a significant excess in one area because it's usually energy intensive to maintain that. So I just wonder how much of a, a limitation there is. Uh, what is exactly is your question? Like, well, it's if, not so really people, a question. It's just okay. a, a just a thought. So yeah. I'm I'm sure that that for with for folks with uh, uh, with some kind of uh, respiratory issue, whether it be smoking or COPD or, you know, emphysema or asthma or anything like that, then absolutely the the gas exchange could be a limiting factor, right? That component could absolutely be a limiting factor. Um, one, one sort of example, which partially illustrates the point, but not super well, is swimming, mm-hmm. right? So in swimming, we're limited not by gas exchange in our lungs, but just by the, the number of breaths we can exhale, inhale cycles we can perform because, you know, most of the time our face is in the water, right? So, um, which is why I'm, an, I'm a, an advocate of a high stroke rate so you can breathe more frequently, but that's a sidebar <laughs> again. But uh, uh, that is that is an interesting example. So, for example, VO2 max in, swimmer, in swimming, unless you're a very good swimmer, is low. It's quite low, right? And it's you're just you not think getting it's the f- oxygen. That's you're, it. You're There's just no. You, that's exactly right. Like the uh, the uh, that that equation of you know air coming in. There's just not that much of it coming in, right? It's because you just can't inhale enough of it. So I would imagine. I mean, in general, I'm sure endurance sports favor athletes who have a higher lung capacity, but swimming especially would seem like that kind of thing where you Mm -hmm. do the quick exhale, inhale as much air as you can get. And you're essentially doing the gas exchange while you're doing your stroke. Um, but the, the more volume you have to draw from, uh, the more oxygen you'll get into your blood. Yeah. I'm willing to bet that's the case. I'm, uh, I think, I think, you know, big lungs are good for all you know, endurance sports, but I, I'm willing to bet that swimmers have an especially, you know, large advantage. They also have, generally have very large torsos, right? So it's, uh, there's more room for those, those big <laughs> gas bags. <laughs> so I think that helps too. It is a bit of an interest, interesting thought. Um, and it's just, yeah, different sports will favor different body types and different athletes. And it's not mm-hmm. a coincidence. It's not like, um, yeah, it's it's self selection basically is what I'm getting at. So someone who happens to have giant lungs may try swimming and be really good at it, so they continue doing it. 
Yeah, yeah, we're we're a little bit off off the uh, off the path of what yes. we said we would, we would talk about, which is which is totally fine because uh, as uh, I ski, I cross country skied as a kid, but it's something I haven't done in years, and I've I've always been a terrible skater, but it's something that um, there's a, there's a kind of a non fitness related, at least non non physical endurance fitness related uh, component of uh, you know whatever your outdoor winter activity is that is is worth mentioning, and that is. Uh, psychological, right? Um, winter is a tough time for a lot of folks. Um, whether you are, yes. you know, yes. diagnosed formally with something like seasonal affective disorder, or uh, it's undiagnosed, or it's maybe just really mild. Regardless, most people are less happy in the winter in the northern climes than they are in the summer, um, and a lot of it has been tied to you know sun exposure or just basically outdoor exposure. Um, and so if you're a triathlete and let's say you don't love the cold, obviously you're swimming indoors. Um, um, most of us, almost all of us are riding indoors. Uh, most of us are probably doing some outdoor running, some indoor running, but depending on where you live, you might be doing a large majority of your runs indoors too. So you go from spending, well, I don't know, anywhere from, let's say six to 20 hours a week outside doing uh, activities to potentially almost none, right? And if you have a regular nine to five job, that's basically, those are daylight hours. So you might not even see the sun very much. Uh, so if, if there's any kind of way to find joy in, uh, in an activity that is outdoor and also ticks a lot of the boxes for endurance sports, I think that's a huge win. Um, and even if it's not, you know, even if strictly speaking an hour on Zwift, um, maybe slightly more, slightly has slightly higher efficacy, I would say an hour in cross country skis might have a, a bigger overall health benefit. Yeah, that's that's actually a good point. That's not something I thought of when we got into this conversation. But uh, yeah, given you know we had our discussion about mental health as well, like mm -hmm. it is a huge component, and I know it's heavily tied into motivation. So if you're finding you lack motivation, then maybe it's time to try something like that, and you still get the vast majority of the training benefit, but now you're fresher and you're uh, more engaged with what you're doing. Absolutely. And then winter doesn't suck as much because there's a, you know, I hear a lot of people and I'm one of them, uh, like I'm guilty uh, complaining about winter <laughs> that it's just, it's just no fun. I, you know, we, you, I wish I lived somewhere warmer. We were just talking about this before we, before we started recording and that, you know, the master plan is to get a house somewhere, you know, somewhere where I can afford it outside of Toronto, <laughs> probably up North in Ontario and then have a house, uh, a summer house somewhere very warm so that I don't have to deal with un Ontario winters anymore. But uh, that's, that's the, that's the, you know, that's not the best way out. The best way out is to figure out how to enjoy the weather rather than run away from it, hide from it. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause you never know when something like COVID is going to happen and you can't travel anymore. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So I think we've covered the cross country skiing side and I would say snowshoeing largely falls into a lot of the same um, the same benefits where you're using a huge muscle group. Um, you're, if you're using poles, like that's engaging the upper body. But speed skating is a really interesting sport. Um, and what I think would surprise people is it's almost as fast as cycling. Mm -hmm. So yeah, long track speed skating, uh, looking at some of the records, it's in the 50 kilometer an hour range. So wow. um, the 1,000 meter that I found uh, the thousand meter record is at 54.8 kilometers an hour. Holy um, so that's moving pretty quick. And 
I mean, there's no equipment aside from, well, <laughs> dangerous blades strapped to your feet and about <laughs> a half millimeter of uh, <laughs> very, or not very uh, cushioning, very stretchy material that you're you're clothed in. So there's not a lot of protection there, but uh, you're, you're not really using that much equipment. And it's, it's largely just a human powered, um, not much leverage type of sport. Mm -hmm. That's super cool. Uh, I will say that I'm pretty sure, and I don't know this, I just remember, remember seeing these things for sale. I'm pretty sure they do have um, cut proof suits. So because they go they down might, so yeah. much and the blades, you know, will cut you, especially when you're skating with other people. I believe that folks swear, and again, this is completely somebody who doesn't know anything about speed skating. I do believe that they do have some cut protection in their suits. Now for short track, I can definitely see that. Um, whenever I whenever I watch that, I just have the, you know, in my mind, uh, the soundtrack in my mind is just circus music playing because uh, that that is I mean, it's entertaining to watch. I don't know how they tell what's going on, but it's uh, it's a pretty wild sport. But long track yeah. is where you really get the serious speeds. And yeah, when you crash, like as long as you keep your blades up, um, I wouldn't say it's that much more dangerous than a cycling crash. You probably crash a little bit more often than you would with cycling. But uh, as long as you go into pads, then it's not going to be too bad. But mm -hmm. yeah, the fact that you are touching in and about the same speeds that cyclists do, like that's... Uh, when I first heard that, basically the, the stat I heard was that this is the fastest or second fastest human powered sport. Um, and really just streamlined cycling is the only one that's like significantly faster. Wild. Um, the other cool thing about, about speed skating is that they pay a lot of attention to aerodynamics. Oh yeah. Right. Because at those speeds, as we've talked about a lot, a lot, a lot on this show, uh, aerodynamics play a huge role. Um, and so their suits are, you know, are designed in much the same way as cycling suits are designed. So when we, when we think about how, how we design skin suits for cycling, uh, skin suits for speed skating, but they're even more complicated because you have even more moving bits, right? So whereas in cycling, you only have the legs that are moving and they're complicated and everything else, at least in TT, is pretty static. Um, in speed skating, obviously, your your arms are moving quite a bit too. So it's uh, it must be an even more hairy problem to solve. Was that a body hair joke? <laughs> <laughs> no, but it should have been. So it's definitely staying on the tape. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, no, it's, it's pretty like, I think it's super interesting because you look at bike position and this is where I'm going to kind of slag cyclists a little bit, but I mean, basically a cyclist has stuff to hold their, their bits in place, right? You've got bars, <laughs> you've got a saddle, um, everything is roughly holding, holding in place. And yeah, there's a little bit of, um, little bit of effort, well, quite a bit of effort to, to make sure that you're perfect in position. But think about taking your bike away and holding that position. <laughs> like mm -hmm. that's that's basically what speed skaters are as doing. As you're like slipping on the ice, as you're sliding on the ice, you're not slipping, you're sliding on the ice. So you're like your feet are in are not clipped to pedals. They're in dynamic motion. It's it's totally wild. Yeah. I think it's uh I think speed skaters are are super cool. Also not a, an intentional pun. <laughs> And looking at the history of speed skating as well, uh, not the distant history, but just the more recent history, uh, this is a big area of aerodynamic research. I know Lockheed Martin and the U.S. speed skating team and Under Armour had a very, very public fail with their efforts to try and reduce drag. Um, so it uh, they weren't successful, but what they did successfully demonstrate is that aerodynamics play a huge role because they <laughs> messed it up. Uh, what did they do? Well, they... 
the the story I've heard in I, this is just uh, hearsay, but the story I've heard is when they were testing a lot of the wind tunnel models, um, it's very difficult to have a dynamic model that's something mm-hmm. that can be validated across different suits. Um, so one of the things they did was they only took static positions and didn't take the dynamics of the motion into account. So they were testing their suits for just one position, basically, or a couple different positions. Hmm. So that was one thing. The other problem was the, um, I don't believe the suits are ready early enough or the, they didn't train enough in the suits. And it was very much a case of just not being comfortable with it. Hmm. So they went back to their, uh, their practice suits, I believe, and got slightly better times, but it, it was just a, it was a miss. The U.S. speed skating team was supposed to do quite well at the Olympics, and it was uh, it was a bit of a public flop, a very public flop. Well, um, on the subject of winter sports, there is the you know the Winter Olympics in Beijing are coming up real soon. So <laughs> maybe you know, may, well, you well, know, probably there's probably yeah, controversy side. Yeah, yeah, well, look, unless you're like uh, you know the the vice president of the United States, you 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 can still watch the uh, you can still watch the games. I don't. Yeah, I don't think I'm restricted by the diplomatic <laughs> boycotts <laughs> diplomatic that are going on. Boycotts, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we're, I think we're okay to watch it, and uh, definitely I'll be paying attention to the speed skating and the uh, the cross country skiing because those are those are fun events. And then you like you know you start giving people rifles, and then you got other sports which are fun to watch. I don't know whose idea that was, but what an <laughs> awesome sport! <laughs> Somebody from Scandinavia, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> that would be another interesting conversation, actually. And I don't want to get too far into that, but when you look at biathlon. Um, I forget the exact stats, but they have to, they come in like red line. So 165 to 175 beats per minute. Um, and then they have to drop their heart rates so that they can shoot accurately within mm-hmm. seconds. And like, how do you accomplish that? It's a, uh, it's a very, very interesting problem. Um, and then they go again and you're right back up to the, the red lined heart rate. Yeah. I think like the, the, the going again, getting your heart rate up again, that just, that's I think your body does, does a pretty good job of doing that, but but yeah. get, dropping your heart rate, that's that's really challenging. And, you know, a, a big part of that for sure, and we're totally getting off the, uh, you know, are <laughs> we getting ahead of, our, ahead of our skis right now? Um, uh, okay. Oh, sorry. <laughs> that one was intentional, and that was, that's why it was worse. Um, but general, like, aerobic fitness is is really important in getting your heart rate down fast because mm-hmm. that was one of the one of the markers that we look at for you know how aerobically fit somebody is is how quickly their heart rate recovers you know all things being equal provided they're not dehydrated or overheated like if we're just doing you know controlled intervals how quickly does heart rate come back down and it's a good indication of fitness and also uh, a good indication of um of the state of your autonomic nervous system right so how Mm, mentally fatigued you are um but uh i'm willing to bet that that those people do a ton of mental training in order to you know be able to drop their heart rate that quickly too. I like, I don't know how it's possible because I, before a triathlon, before I've done anything, my nerves are usually getting up there and I've mm-hmm. seen my heart at like 135 beats per minute just from the nerves before a race. Like I'm just standing there, yeah, yeah, standing there in my wetsuit and <laughs> uh, 135 beats per minute. So yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty incredible stuff. So there's, there's some wild there's there's a definitely a wild and interesting side to winter endurance sports and the the requirements are so much different than what we see typically in running biking and swimming Mm -hmm. so i think this is a good place to wrap up but we do have one closing comment that we'd like to make and it's uh maybe 
part of the reason that we've been um, maybe a little bit more focused on things outside of the podcast, but we've been working on a product that we've kind of teased for a while. Um, and we were talking before the episode about how much to reveal. So uh, we have a prototype of this product. <laughs> we do. And, it's true. And uh, there has been testing done in the past. Um, but it's it's something very exciting for us. And it would be not much of a surprise to to know the, the topic that this follows. And it's uh, athlete thermal management. So I'm not going to tease any more than that because I don't want to accidentally slip what we're doing. Um, but I think it's a very neat product. I think it's something that's got a huge amount of potential. Um, and when we have a little bit more to share, we will uh, we will do so. It is it is exciting times for sure, and it's it's also a good excuse. It's kind of like uh, you know now that I have kids, they're my excuse for being late or not being able to go places all the time. When sometimes I don't <laughs> just don't want to go somewhere, or I'm late because I'm like it's scratching a convenient my butt. excuse. It's a very convenient excuse. So working on this uh, on this prototype is is now a convenient excuse as to why we didn't publish a podcast episode last week, which is I think the first week we missed in oh probably since we started. But um, yeah, and it's also part of the reason why we're, we're going to take a break for the rest of the the rest of December as we fine tune some of the some of the elements of this thing. Uh, I may uh, post a very blurry picture of it on Instagram um, <laughs> with like in, Vaseline spirit on the camera. That's it. I, I think you you don't have to go to those lengths now. I think you have software to do it for you. But, yeah, that's uh, probably true. Yeah, it loses some something of that like panache that. from. That's right. That's right. But uh, yeah, so we're, we're, we're working on stuff, folks, and uh, we'll have some really fun guests for you in, uh, in January. Um, there are a couple of questions that uh, um, are outstanding. There was um, a question about a gear guide for uh, more advanced triathletes, which we're going to put together. And there's also a question on um, uh, optimal physiological models for cycling, which I actually have had... Uh, at, two very interesting discussions with uh, coaches and sports scientists. I really, well, one coach, one sports scientist that, that I, I really have a lot of uh, respect for. Um, but I'm not ready to, to yet spill the beans on that one. Um, so those are, those are two episodes that we're working on actively. And then there'll be guests, you know, in the vein of, of folks we've had in the past. And then we'll, uh, you know, further down the road, we'll, we'll tell you what we're actually, what we're working on in this product. So it just hit me. Um, we do. I've been thinking about episodes. So should the question and answer be you've been thinking about? <laughs> sure. Yes, we we've sort of mixed them, mixed and matched them. We've had like Q and A's in the I've been thinking about episodes, uh, and then uh, yeah. But I we could have. I was trying to be clever it. with this, but it is it, was, it is clever. We should have a yes. Okay, let's do it. We we should have a you've been thinking about episodes. So those Thank are you. Thank those you for are humoring two. Me. <laughs> We'll have we'll have those two. They might be separate topics because at least the gear one, um, it's so big. There's so many things you could possibly want and not want. Um, and actually, there's a. Uh, if you're in Toronto, I'm gonna plug this thing. I don't know that they have a firm date yet, or maybe I'm just behind on my on my email reading. But there's the Endurance Innovation Summit, which is the um, uh, it's a a virtual. Uh, well, it's a virtual summit of some of the the thought leaders in endurance sports in and around uh, Ontario. I think I'm not sure what the, who the, who's on the guest list for this year, um, but I will be on and I will be talking about um, innovation in endurance sports. So kind of like the 
the the bread and butter of this podcast of of what's uh you know what's interesting and what's worth looking at and what is kind of like a must have and what are some of the things that you know are cool tools but maybe not super useful super actionable and then what what uh, what's out there in my opinion um that is that has absolutely no evidence for efficacy and there's a lot of those <laughs> things there's so many things that are out there that are just complete like bogus science um so i may i may talk about a couple of those and uh, <laughs> definitely get some hate mail for some of that i'm sure speaking of which and opening up to hate mail i i was in costco earlier and saw this testosterone red or something i'm so curious what that is and to be honest like if you take it is it something that is going to cause a a failed drug test yeah probably. Um, i have no probably, idea maybe. what it is yeah yeah sometimes sometimes they'll say like you know it'll be some kind of natural well natural it'll be some kind of herb that that has you know zero studies <laughs> testosterone but- in it <laughs> purports to boost testosterone no I'm, yeah. okay so yeah if it has I don't think you can actually buy testosterone legally. That's why I'm, I'm so sure confused. I got to dig yeah. into this. You got you got to look it up. Yeah. But don't take it because then you'll, you'll they'll probably no, pop no, no, you no, at, no. The, at the drug tents. <laughs> no, it's uh, just an interesting thing. Chemistry is always trying to, or pharmacology is always trying to push things forward. Yeah, pharma is pretty cool. Um, but also, a lot of these supplements are made in in facilities that are don't have very good controls so even if the the official ingredient list is all is all good there have been lots of cases where things they've been contaminated with stuff that is definitely not okay with that i hope everyone is able to get out and those of you who are experiencing winter hopefully you can give some of these sports a try and if you do try long track speed skating i mean that's something i would love to try uh it's hard to find places you can't just go do it in your backyard but uh Hmm. Um, hopefully you get out and enjoy yourself this winter and we will be back in January with some new content but yeah folks so this is a good place to leave it Uh, as always if you like the show give us a rating and a review on iTunes Uh, tell your friends uh, tell your friends what you've learned today although today you probably haven't learned too too much other than uh, I forget what I learned from Colleen Moore and you should listen to his podcast episode with us again Uh, and uh, yeah tune in in January uh, for more endurance innovation thanks everyone I don't even know what I'm saying anymore. <laughs> Should I, I just, just shut way. it down? <laughs> okay, I'm going to just start again. <clears throat> so as Andrew and I are totally losing our marbles over here and, and, and no longer are no longer... Fuck. <laughs> you know what I stumbled over? I was just going to say that we can't string sentences together. <laughs> That's a good one to stumble on. <laughs> yeah. Oh, hello.